Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So do you know what, until 12 years ago, the solution that the American Medical Association had for being poisoned was? The solution that the doctors across the country had for being poisoned until the year 2011 was to give you a little bit of different poison. That was literally the solution. So until 12 years ago, there was something that doctors would use, which is called syrup of Ipecac. And I don't know what movie or TV show that being an 80s kid was, but for some reason from my childhood, I knew what syrup of Ipecac was. I don't know if that was an episode or something, but but I knew, I knew that's the thing you took to throw up. And syrup of Ipecac is itself a poison. It makes you vomit. And so if you ingested poison, doctors would say, here, have another poison that should help you. And that's what they would do. That would make you vomit by giving you syrup of Ipecac. This week, we're going to look at the letter uh, that Jesus wrote to the church at Laodicea. And one of the things that is absolutely striking about this letter is that Jesus says that this church makes him want to vomit. And let me tell you, if you read commentators and preachers talking uh, about this letter, they go through everything they can not to actually use the word vomit. And yet that's what it is. Uh, I I had to learn a new word this week because to avoid saying that, they would say that that this was emetic. Do you know what emetic means? To cause you to throw up. It's just a really fancy medical word for that. In fact, one of the uh, commentaries that I read on this said, you know, the best way to think about this is with the Spanish word vomitar. You could say it in English. It's right there. We all know what you're doing. You're not being clever. It's obvious. And yet, as we think about this, it all leads to one question. What is it about the church at Laodicea that makes Jesus want to throw up. Now, I don't want to give away the whole sermon. I don't want to just answer that question for you, and then we can go home. You know, the rays are playing early today. I know some of you guys have plans, but no. The thing that was so bad in the church at Laodicea was that this was a church that was self-satisfied, self-reliant, and complacent. And the about to read, uh, there is no persecution that is coming to the church at Laodicea. They don't have the pressure that some of the other churches in their area had. And not only that, there are no obvious heretics. Jesus doesn't call out anyone in the church who's teaching bad doctrine. There is sort of no problems at all, except for the ones that stem from the fact that they think everything is fine when it is not. To put this another way, the problem in Laodicea was vanity. They're so vain, they probably don't realize this letter's about them. <laughs> that one skewed a little bit older than normal. Thank you. Thank you. But here's the thing, that this problem is alive and well in our lives today as well. 
It's easy for us to slide into this same sort of thinking, both individually and as a church. We don't have any heretics. We're not persecuted. We have a relatively comfortable church. I mean, probably the most comfortable church pews you've ever been in. It's why we serve you high-octane coffee to counteract that. Our Christian life is quite nice, but for the next few minutes, as we're looking at this together, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop for just a second and be open to this question. Is this letter to the church at Laodicea about me? Because the difficulty for every single one of us is that we can't see our own blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots. We need others to point them out to us. And when they do, that's when the truly hard work begins, the work of not being defensive, not being hostile to the critique that others bring into our lives. But this is all because Jesus does not want to let us sit in our smug self-deception. He loves us enough to tell us the truth. He cares about us enough to tell us when we are acting like the emperor who has no clothes. And so if you are able, let's listen to Jesus' letter together. If you're able, please stand as I read the last eight verses of Revelation chapter three. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot or cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. City Church is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. As we have seen over the past seven weeks, Jesus begins each one of these uh, letters to the individual churches in what is now Turkey by giving a description of who he is, a description that meets this church and their problems where they are. And in, to the church at Laodicea, he tells them that he is a reliable truth teller because he is truth itself. John, uh, Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here he calls himself the amen. Now we say amen a lot in church, and we just sort of think it's just sort of like the way you punctuate church sentences. But in reality, what it really means is that this is the truth. When you end a prayer with amen, you're saying, yes, this is the truth. When we end saying the creed with amen, we're saying this is the truth. 
And so Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus says, I am a faithful and true witness. And not only that, he ends his self-description by calling himself the beginning of God's creation. Now, if you have a different version, uh, you might have a different word there. It might say something about Jesus uh, being in charge of creation or the ruler of all creation. And that's because for Greeks, if you were the first, you were in charge. So when you think about Zeus, Zeus was the first and ruler of all of the gods of Olympus. That's the same thing that Jesus is saying about himself here. He is the ruler of the whole world. He is the most credible and reliable source on our character and what is happening in our hearts. Because the hard truth of the matter is that we don't even have good self-evaluation. We can't trust what our hearts say about ourselves. Think of the words of the prophet Jeremiah, that our hearts are deceptive above all things. And to the church that is being deceived by themselves, Jesus says, listen, I am the most reliable source on who you are. What I say carries the most weight. Now, I just want to point out how deeply countercultural to our moment what Jesus is saying here is. In our world, we have elevated self above everything else. Our experience becomes truth. And we, we feel violated and attacked when anyone disagrees with our experiences. Uh, you know, you can see this in what TV shows become popular over time. Um, and I think about this with the sort of rash of shows that have come out in the past few years uh, that are about uh, tech startups that are led by some charismatic figure who has absolutely massive character flaws that get hidden along the way. If you've watched WeWork, which is about Theranos, or if you've watched, I'm sorry, We Crashed, which is about WeWork, um, or The Dropout, which is about Theranos, you see these shows where the heads of these companies were incredibly charismatic, but very obviously flawed. But they couldn't see it because they just evaluated themselves based on themselves. They were self-absorbed. Now, listen, I know that none of us, at least the most of you that I know who are here that I know, have not failed as spectacularly as we work or Theranos. But the seed, the mindset, the ideas that drove those people exist in us as well. Listen, do you like negative feedback? Do, do you like it when your mistakes are made public? How many of us enjoy the process of seeing ourselves as we truly are and as other people see us? I cannot speak for you, but for most of us, those are terribly painful and difficult moments for us to live through and walk through. But what Jesus is saying to us by introducing himself as the amen, introducing himself as the true witness, he's saying to us that his word about us is more valuable to us than our self-perception. To the church of the vain, Jesus offers the prescription of a real mirror. And as we look in this mirror this morning, the question for us is, are we going to take it seriously? Are we going to actually pay attention? Or are we going to be like the foolish man in James who sees himself in the mirror, smiles and says, that'll do, and walks away?
And so Jesus moves to the place where we would normally find in these letters uh, an encouragement, something where Jesus has something nice to say. In fact, in every other letter besides one, uh, Jesus has something nice to say about the churches. And now remember, these are churches riddled with compromise, with heretics actively teaching in the churches, with things that they have done that are awful. Jesus has compliments for those churches, but not for Laodicea. Jesus knows their works, and the picture is not very good. They're neither hot nor cold, so that because they are lukewarm, Jesus is going to vomit them out of his mouth. Now, through the years, I've heard, um, I've heard sermons on this passage. It's probably the most famous of these seven letters, along with Ephesians. And as I've heard it, people think about this and often preach this in terms of spiritual temperature. You should have a, a red-hot passion for God. Or... If you have to, you should be cold and turned off to God. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't make much sense. The bad idea is the lukewarm. What's going on here? Well, in order for us to really understand, uh, we need to take a little bit of a walk through history and a little bit of a walk through geography. What we need to understand is that the Laodiceans would have heard this and known exactly what Jesus meant in this moment. Because Laodicea was a city that was founded because two roads crossed. It had nothing to do with how good the land was. It had nothing to do with how good uh, anything around it was. It was simply because two major roads crossed here. If you're a Floridian and you've been here for a while, this is how we explain Lake City. Why, is, why does Lake City exist for one reason? The only reason that Lake City exists is because it's at the corner of Interstate 10 and Interstate 75. There is nothing interesting about Lake City, except that it's on the corner of I-10 and I-75. That's the kind of town Laodicea started as. Laodicea just existed because of these two highways, and so they built a town around the crossroads. Here was the problem. There was no water source there. There was a river that six months out of the year uh, ran through, but the other six months it was dried up. And even when it was dry, dragging through, uh, the water was said to be turbid white mud. Turbid. That sounds like a terrible drink if something was turbid. Anyway, you couldn't drink this water. And so as you sat there, dying of thirst, and looked over the plains. As you looked to the west, you could see the town of Colossae just five miles up the street. The city that was famous for pool upon pool of fresh-fed spring water, cool and refreshing. And as you looked up to the hills above this crossroads, you saw a town called Hierapolis. And Hierapolis was famous for its hot medicinal springs. People would go there to be healed by this mineral water. And so you have cold water down the street to the west. You have good hot water just to the north. And what have you got in Laodicea? You have an aqueduct with five miles of pipes to bring water to town. Now, I don't need to tell you that 2,000 years ago, pipe technology was not great. Pipes were made out of rocks. And so what would happen? You would have water that no matter where it came from, went on a five-mile journey across jagged rocks 
that picked up all of the minerals, all of the content, whatever these stones were made out of. And whether it started in a cool place or started in a hot place, it was all just blah and gross water. So imagine being the town of Laodicea. You're the richest town in the region. You've got everything going for you, except this one thing. Your water is terrible. Now, there's a joke that you could pick on, you know, pick your city, you know, is it San Francisco, is it New York, Chicago, whoever's water you want to make fun of, you're welcome to. But that was the case with the church at Laodicea. So now think about what Jesus is saying to them. You're not hot like the good medicinal springs in Hierapolis. You're not cold like the cool, refreshing water down at Colisee. All you've got going for you is you're gross and make people want to puke. Jesus is not talking about their spiritual temperature. What Jesus is talking about is their usefulness. The Laodicean church was useless. Jesus' critique was not that they were half-hearted, lukewarm, in the middle. No, Jesus' critique was that they were ineffective. This church had so little going on that Jesus says, it's gross, and what's the point? And he goes on to clarify where that ineffectiveness comes from, why it made him want to throw up. They had no clue how deceived they were. They said that they were rich and prosperous. They didn't think that they needed anything. They were self-assured, self-satisfied. And that's not just true of the church. That was true of the city as a whole. Last week, we talked about the church at Philadelphia, and we talked about how earthquakes had rocked the land and that they had been renamed because several Caesars had given tons of money to rebuild the city of Philadelphia. And one of those earthquakes happened in the year 60, and it happened halfway in between Philadelphia and our town here today, Laodicea. But Philadelphia and Laodicea had one big difference. When the Caesars came and said, hey, we'll give you money to help you rebuild. We'll, We'll cut your taxes and all the things that you have to pay us. Laodicea said, no, thank you. We will take care of it on our own. We don't need you, Caesar. And the problem at the church at Laodicea is that they had so taken in the culture around them, the culture of their city, that they were treating God the way their city was treating the Romans. Now we're good. We don't need you. We've got it all under control. We have all of the resources that we need. And that should give us pause. It should, it should make us ask the question to ourselves, in what way have we so adopted the mindset of our city that we have given ourselves permission and and space to ignore God? I think we're tempted in actually the exact same ways that the Laodiceans were in this case. They were comfortable because of their financial position, their health, and their expertise. Let me read that again, church church in Laodicea was comfortable and complacent because of their financial situation, their health, and their expertise. That's how they saw themselves. And what does Jesus, the faithful and true witness, say about them? No, you are not rich. No, you do not have it all together. In fact, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
the exact things that the church was bragging about, the exact things that they said that we're really good at, that really matter, those are the exact things that they were the most deceived about. They thought they were rich and had it together because they had financial security. And Jesus says, no, you're poor. They thought that they had their health and their health care in line. But Jesus says, no, you're, you're actually blind. They, they thought that they had fine wool coats because that was their city's primary industry. But Jesus says that they're naked. And so Jesus has a word of advice. He has counsel for this church at Laodicea. Forget about the gold of the banks in town. Come and get gold from me, gold refined by fire. You think that you have great clothes? Come and get white garments, pure garments for me to cover your nakedness. Get eye salve from me to help with your blindness. Jesus is showing the church that the things that their local idols and their local economy were providing to them were shadows and poor knockoff dollar store versions of what he was actually offering them. The things that they were seeking through their wealth, through their expertise, and through their health would never fulfill them and were leading them further into self-deception. Beloved, that same thing is true of us. Those things that we rest on, that thing about us that we kind of go, yeah, but I've always got this going for me. Yeah, I may not have everything going for me, but you know what? I'm pretty good at this. If we had just a little bit more money, it'd fix our problems because everything else is okay. Maybe I can outlive my problems through medical innovation or plenty of exercise and the right diet. If we just have the right look, it'll be okay. But Jesus holds the mirror up to us and says point blank, none of those things have worked for you so far and none of those things are working, gonna work for you in the future. It is like drinking gross mineral water. It is never going to slake your thirst. Your wealth can't fix your heart. Your expertise can't fix your soul. Your fashion can't make you feel better about yourself. Only Jesus can do those things. And that is exactly what Jesus says to them. The solution to their problems is to return to him, to repent. But look at even the way that he calls them to repentance. He addresses it to those whom he loved. There's a high degree of dramatic irony in this passage because it is by far Jesus' harshest critique of any of these seven churches. And yet at the same time, it is the church that he most explicitly tells about his love. Jesus loves them. It is always the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But Jesus' love is so deep and so true they won't let us wallow in our sin. Jesus reproves and disciplines those he loves. Jesus will expose our sin if we won't repent. He is going to grow us and draw us closer to him one way or another. And so he invites us to repent, to return, to place our faith in him, to repent of our self-deception, to look in the mirror and not be the fool. And so let's hear the words of Jesus. Let's let his critique 
change us because Jesus is offering us something more than just better outcomes in life, something more than just self-improvement. Jesus is actually offering us himself. And if we hear his voice and respond to his voice, we will get to dine together with him. That's what the whole standing at the door and knocking picture that Jesus paints is. It's not about people who don't know Jesus believing in him. This is written to the church there in Laodicea. It's about us, hard-hearted people struggling to repent. And it's an invitation to real and eternal communion with him through repentance and faith. Now, I've been speaking this morning mostly to Christians as we've walked through this, but if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to take just a second and say one thing that this passage might be saying to you, and that is that those same problems that we as Christians struggle with elevating to to too high of a level are some of the same things that you might too. But Jesus is saying to you as well, all the money in the world is not going to make you happy. You can't use technique and technology to find fulfillment. It's only found in a relationship, a vital and intimate relationship of repentance and faith with Jesus. We can't outlive our problems with medical innovation and better medicine. But Jesus holds the mirror up and invites us to something so much more. And so to anyone who is a Christian or not, who is willing to walk the road of repentance, of of turning from all of the sources of our false hope and our faulty trust and placing those hopes, those elements that we want to trust to Jesus, to those people, he offers us the rest of sitting with him. Jesus has prepared for us a table and a throne We will eat with him. We will rest with him if we are trusting in him. So let's be honest with ourselves this morning. Do you say that I'm rich and prosperous? Do you think that your money can get you out of your situation? You think you don't need anything? Let's trust the faithful and true witness when he says that we are wretched and pitiable and in need of him. Because despite that wretchedness, He comes to us in love. Despite that, his disposition towards us is still one of love. So no matter what it is that you are holding on to, what you are placing your trust in, Jesus says, leave it behind and find in me a friend that that sticks closer than a brother. He is willing to tell us the truth and still fully love us. And so beloved, Let's trust him. Let's trust that kind of love. Let's pray.